Well, it's great to have you all here this uh, Open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse 27 to 34. We've been in 1 Corinthians 11 for this is now the third week. And uh, these last verses, the last half of the chapter, is about the whole business of the Lord's Supper and communion. And uh, we already spent a week on that. Um, and we're going to wrap that up, chapter 11, and this whole business of communion, of the Lord's Supper. And, and I want to encourage you. One of the things that can happen, as I mentioned last week, when we get into the Lord's Supper, it's one of those things that we do so regularly, kind of like Christmas and Easter. The story doesn't change. We know what it is, and so we're used to doing the bread and the cup, and we do that, and we don't always hear the message and uh, or it's so routine that it just kind of yeah we get it but we don't listen wholeheartedly and I hope that these couple of weeks as we talk about the message of the Lord's Supper of communion that we can gather the whole perspective in a different way that it won't be just a routine we're not participating in the Lord's Supper this morning that's coming up in a couple of weeks actually mark your calendar September 12th is when we're going to do that again and and I'll let you know later on why we think that's important why you want to be sure to be here plan to be here but here we go quick review of 1 Corinthians and verses 17 to 26 where we were last week Paul had just finished in these verses blasting the Corinthian church I mean he let them have it he didn't pull any punches he came right out uh, because they had been abusing the Lord's Supper, and he wanted them to know about it. In fact, he says to them, your meetings do more harm than good. Uh, boy, I mean, that, this is like, wow, are you kidding me, Paul? You know, it'd be like us saying that. We send out an email on Monday, tomorrow, and say, folks, just want to thank you for coming, but I got to tell you, that service yesterday did more harm than good. You'd be going, what in the world is, is going on here? Well, that's what Paul says. In fact, he says there are divisions among you. Now, back in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, he'd already talked about divisions. Those who are following the personalities of some of the individuals that were involved, Paul and, and Peter and Apollos. And here it's a different kind of a situation. It's about a social ladder kind of a thing it's about an economic thing the rich eat their own food at the supper they've gathered together to, to have and the poor aren't they don't get anything because there's no sharing it's supposed to be a love feast that's what they called it back in the first century when the church is gathered together to celebrate the lord's supper they ate a meal together it was a common church meal during which they would then celebrate the Lord's Supper. But Paul says, hey, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, but your own private suppers. And they didn't have God's approval. That's what Paul told them. In fact, the result of this, he said, of all that's going on, is one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. In fact, he said, not only that, but the rich are despising the church of God and humiliating those who have nothing. Man, he didn't pull any punches. He let it all out. That was the problem that existed in that church in Corinth. And this is the church. 
Paul's not talking to just a bunch of people who don't know any better. He's talking to the church, God's people, people who ought to know better, people who ought to be sharing together in the Lord's Supper, people who ought to be remembering that Jesus, what Jesus did to make them one with God the Father. That's what they were celebrating. That's what they were remembering. The death of Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to make it possible for us to get right, to be declared righteous before the God in heaven. But it also should have been God's people celebrating together that oneness that we have with each other as those who know Jesus Christ, as those who have had our sins forgiven because we've believed on the work of Christ on the cross, because we understood that Jesus died in our place for our sins. But that's not what was happening. They were divided. We get to verse 23 and Paul says, pay attention now. I receive from the Lord. And he goes on to say how that Christ took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. And then it says that he took the cup. And he said, this cup is, is the new covenant in my blood which has been given for you. And then he says, verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't ever remember really being in a Lord's Supper, a communion service, when at that time we took the bread or took the cup, somebody yelled out and proclaiming the truth of the gospel. That's not what Paul's talking about. But what does he mean when he says, you proclaim the Lord's death when he comes, when you partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, proclaiming is what should have been happening when they ate and drank. It was eating the Lord's Supper. That should declare loud and clear what we believe that Jesus did for us. It was a visible announcement. Some of you would recognize when I said an object lesson. I don't know if they still call them that these days, but when you have some kind of a visual aid or something, but that's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We've got the plate of, of bread and we've got the cup of juice and, and that's representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And the idea of proclaiming is to make known publicly, to spread the news abroad loud and clear but Paul's saying their actions didn't proclaim the Lord's death. In fact, their actions proclaimed their own selfishness rather than Christ's selflessness. It proclaimed a lack of love and care for the hungry and needy members of the church. It proclaimed division with the haves and the have-nots it did not proclaim the unity of the church that should have been existent and that Paul had already taken four chapters in his letter to talk about. Rather, it proclaimed that there was a group of people who didn't care about another group of people within the church that were right there together. A group of people who did not 
pass the test of God's approval. And Paul said, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. When the church gathers together to celebrate, to remember the Lord's Supper, it is to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us so that we are provoked in our hearts. When we do that once a month, whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it ought to stir our hearts. It ought to shake our hearts. It ought to renew our minds. It ought to just reset things as we remember all that Jesus did for us. It ought to provoke us to let our light shine. Why? Because we know Jesus, he says, we're the light of the world. The light of the world, the salt of the earth, but we ought to let that light shine so that people will see the reality of what Jesus did for us. That's proclaiming his death. In the moment, when we're partaking right here in the auditorium, as well as afterwards, when we leave and go back out into the communities where we live, we ought to be letting our light shine. The time together around the Lord's Supper ought to be something that just charges us up. And though it's we only celebrate once a month, and, and the Bible doesn't specify how often that should be, but it, it ought to be something that recharges us. It's like the battery runs down. We're, we're there the first Sunday of the month is when we typically do it. Not always. We won't be in September. But, but when we do that, we kind of drained a little bit and we're refocused on the cross. We're refocused on what Jesus did for us. And it ought to be like we plugged in. Like I plug in my, my phone battery every night when I go to bed, right? It's there right beside me because I know it'll die if I don't and my alarm won't go off. And so it has to be recharged. So by morning, it's ready to go. And sometimes that's what communion can be. It reminds us of what Jesus did and fires us up all over again boy that's what we need and that's what the Lord's Supper ought to be but the church of Corinth was not recharged they were not proclaiming the Lord's death because they were focused on themselves and totally missing the point of what the celebrating and remembering of the cross was all about. So here's the takeaway for our time together this morning. Every time, if you're taking notes, want to write it down, whatever, every time you participate in the Lord's Supper, you need to focus on, you need to determine that you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the point. That's what Paul says at the end of verse 26 there, chapter 11. That every time you participate in the Lord's Supper, you will determine that you're going to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, how do we do that? Well, last week we looked at uh, the first number of verses and we gave you a little bit of an outline in the 17 to 22 the problem at the Lord's Supper verses 23 to 26 the purpose of the Lord's Supper and today as we look at verses 27 to 34 we're going to the point of Paul's directives verse 17 Paul said 
hey, I've got these directives. I've got a, a, some instructions, some directions to share with you. And, and, and he goes on. And now he's saying, okay, so here's the point of all that he said today. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What's Paul talking about? In an unworthy manner. Many times we think that that means, okay, we've come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We've come to the, to the auditorium at 9.30 on the morning. We're gonna, we've got the bread and the cup and all ready to go with communion. And, and we need to make sure that all the sin in our life is gone. That's how we think. But that's not what Paul's talking about when he says in an unworthy manner. You see, this word is not describing uh, the condition of, of your heart when you come. What Paul is talking about is the manner or the way in which we show up on Sunday morning to observe the Lord's Supper. It coming with just a thinking of the, the, the cup and the bread as we pass that around, that it's, that it's just a common meal. And the gathering together of the church in Corinth wasn't anything special. They were just there to eat. And that's why the rich, we're told, didn't even think about sharing with the poor. Because there was nothing special about it. And so in this business of coming in an unworthy matter, as we don't have that meal together, we don't have the common meal or what they called in the first century the love feast, we just gather together with the bread that represents the body of Christ and the cup that represents the blood of Christ, and we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross paying for our sin. But when we come the way we come, if it's just a... Uh, communion okay well maybe the message will be a little shorter this week because we we have to allow time to take the bread in the cup uh or oh yeah we we did this last month and or okay well i guess we'll go through this and 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 we come with that attitude that there's nothing special about it it's just we come with a different wrong attitude and the manner in which we come is not focused on jesus in other words, the sin of the Corinthians was not about their character. It wasn't about all the sin that they had committed since the last time they celebrated communion. But it was about the nature of their actions, the way they had come to gather together, focused on themselves rather than on others Paul's warning was not to those who were leading unworthy lives and desiring forgiveness, but to those who were making a mockery of that which should have been a very sacred and solemn time remembering Christ's death on the cross. And instead of eating and drinking without any consideration of others, the Corinthians should have been sharing with each other and partaking in moderation the meal, rather than getting drunk and eating all the food so the poor had nothing. Any manner that is not consistent with the significance of Christ's death is selfish behavior, and that goes against everything that Jesus did on the cross for us. Totally unselfish Christ's work for us, and that created division. 
So what do we do about that? When we come with an unworthy matter, well, verse 28, Paul says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Examine ourselves. What does that mean? It means to test and then find approved. It means to look at our conduct. It means to look at our attitude, the manner in which we've come. Uh, Our attitude, our conduct towards our brothers and sisters. Do we look down on some people? Do we think we're better than other people? Paul's saying, test yourselves to see if you're generous. Are you concerned about those who don't have what you have? Are you caring for all the body, the church? Are you unselfish? Are you willing to do for others? Are you willing to reconcile when we've got bad attitudes towards one another? When there's division, there's obviously those who feel, well, there's something wrong with those people, or I'm not right with them, or they're not right with me, or they don't like me. And I think it's interesting here that Paul's talking about the rich, but I'm sure that the poor who were hungry didn't think rightly about the rich who had eaten all the food. So there was sin to deal with in that regard as it related to the relationships, the unity within the church. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. John read that, one of the verses he read earlier. And this is what Paul is saying. When you come to communion, when you come to share with the Lord's Supper, one of the things as we examine our hearts, we need to make sure that we do is that we are on, in right standing, in right relationship with the members of the body of Christ. If you know that there's somebody, if we were celebrating communion today, and you know that there's somebody sitting over in the front row or the back row or that corner or in the middle aisle, I look over there and I see them, and I know that they don't like me or I got something against them, you ought not to partake. Because that's what Paul's talking about. He says, Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, when we're celebrating the forgiveness of Christ for us, and yet we are not willing to forgive somebody who's done something to us, maybe years ago, or maybe last week, How in the world does that in any way reflect the work of Christ on the cross when we've got an unforgiving attitude in our hearts? You say, well, Glenn, you don't know what happened. Aren't you glad Jesus never said that? Oh, by, by the way, I know what happened, so sorry about you. I know your sin. No, Jesus said, I know your sin, and I've forgiven it anyway. And then... Paul, or, uh, Jesus said in Matthew, verses five, chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remembering that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. You see, the Lord's Supper is a time of worship. It is focusing on, it is praising God, it is honoring God for what he did on the cross for us. And so if we're getting ready to partake and we're sitting there and we remember that somebody, our brother and sister, has something against us, 
We're to, we're to not partake, really. But if that would be, we're, we're, he says, we're supposed to leave our gift there and go be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. Back in the Old Testament, Jesus told, or God told Saul, King Saul, when he disobeyed God and, and Saul offered a sacrifice to God thinking he would make God feel better because he disobeyed. And what did God say to Saul? He said, hey, to obey is better than sacrifice. This is a matter of obedience. See, either way here, the forgiveness issue, a lot of times they say, well, I didn't do anything. Okay, but do you know that that brother or sister has something against you? Right here. Then he says, you leave your gift and go make things right with them. On the other hand, when we looked at Colossians 3.13, it was, hey, I've done something wrong. I need to make it right. Yeah, but that's hard. Or I don't think they'll take it well. What does Scripture say? To obey is what we need to do. And those are the people sitting in a communion service, sitting observing the Lord's Supper that ought not to participate. Those whose hearts aren't right with other believers. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the problem was. Or those who are not generous with what God has given them to meet the needs of others. That's what was happening. Those who let the poor go hungry while they had so much, they were drunk and full. That's the examining of ourselves to see if we aren't right with a brother and sister in Christ. September 12th, it's two weeks, three weeks from today. If you're in that situation with a brother or sister in Christ, nobody else in the world but God knows about it, maybe. You have the responsibility before God, whether it's about communion or not, whether we're celebrating the Lord's Supper on the 12th or not, you have the responsibility to go and make things right with your brother and sister. You know what? In both situations, in the one, in, at the one hand, if, if it's your fault, you're supposed to go. On the other hand, if it's their fault, you're supposed to go. You see, there's no loophole. It's always our responsibility. That's what the Bible says is necessary when we examine ourselves to make it right. Verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Without discerning the body of Christ. Paul's saying how you think about each other. Do we recognize as you discern, as you judge what's going on within the body, do you understand that we as God's people are one that we are the church, that when we're gathered together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we do that as a church. That's what the Bible talks about. That's when you celebrate. You don't celebrate it in your living room as a family unless you're part of them. Now, we did that over this last year, this COVID stuff and the live streaming. We did that. You did at times. But we were together in that regard. But just on your own, celebrating the Lord's Supper in your backyard just because, oh, wouldn't that be a really neat thing? It's about the local church, God's people meeting together as one, discerning the body. Now, what is the body of Christ there? Well, there's two options. 
Some believe when it says the body, uh, discerning the body of Christ, that that's talking literally about Christ's body as Paul had been talking about it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When he's talking about the Last Supper and how Jesus was there with his disciples and, and how that he, he told them, hey, uh, this is the last time I'll be eating with you because tomorrow I'm going to the cross and, and this bread is, is my body and this cup is my blood. And, and so that's the, what some believe the body is. Others would say, without discerning the body of Christ, that it's the church. The Bible refers to those of us as believers all together as the church, as the body of Christ. I take the position that it is the church because that's the context of what Paul's talking about. Yes, he was talking about the body of Christ and remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us, but I believe the, con- the whole context is, is focusing on the church and how they celebrate and how they remember what Jesus did, or in this case, the, how they abused together the body of believers. So I think that's what it, Paul is saying, discerning the body, the church, that we need to remember when we gather together, we're with the church, and that's a big deal. Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Why? Because... They did not discern. They did not think about. They did not judge that they were with the church, the body of Christ. And as a result, a result of their sin, we're told there many are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep. That's the judgment of God on the sin of God's people. That's what was going on. Falling asleep is Paul's term, the Bible's term for dead as a believer, God took the lives of some who knew Jesus because of the way they were participating in the Lord's Supper, because of their refusal to, to look unselfishly at the members of the body of Christ. Wow. Unbelievable. Verse 31, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. In other words, if we would examine ourselves, Paul says, we wouldn't be judged by the Lord. There wouldn't be those believers who were weak and sick. There wouldn't be those believers who God had said, okay, enough, I'm taking you to heaven. Really sounds weird to say it, but it appears at times like the Lord's Supper, it could be a really risky thing because of the way we come. And if we don't get serious about that, and please, I'm not saying we haven't been, but if you individually are missing that point, wow, we're told here that you may be judged by God. Verse 32, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way, when God does bring weakness into your life, physical weakness, makes you sick, physically sick, or takes your life. When we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Boy. Hebrews chapter, you got to see this. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 5 to 11. I don't have it on the screen. It's a longer text, but... Listen, folks, 
what Paul is saying when God disciplines his people. God disciplines those who know Jesus Christ. God loves us, therefore he disciplines us. He corrects us so that we won't be disqualified. Paul talked about earlier in 1 Corinthians about living our lives in a way so that we would not be disqualified. Chapter 9, running the race. And he says, man, after I've run the race, I don't want to be disqualified. And that's what the idea is here. God is disciplining those believers who were sinning as it relates to the Lord's Supper so that they wouldn't be disqualified, so that he wouldn't have to take their life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. Verse 5, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. Anybody remember getting disciplined by their parents when you were younger? (laughs) I do. Not a lot, of course. (laughs) But just like we parents who love our children because we love them. We want them to learn and grow. We discipline them. That's a biblical principle. We don't have time to get into that whole child discipline thing, but Scripture is full of the need to train our kids to know the truth, to learn to obey. How many times do you say no to your kids? How many times does God say no to us? You see, Paul is saying here that because God loves us, when we're not operating in a way that honors him, and what was happening at the church of Corinth, they were abusing the Lord's Supper, he disciplined them. That's why some were weak and sick and why God had to take some home so that they wouldn't do more damage to themselves or to the church, to others. Now, we never know who that is. Sometimes it's easy to sit back and folks don't assume that everybody who gets sick as a believer is being disciplined by God, right? If you've had COVID this year, there must be sin in your life. Wow. That's not necessarily what Paul is saying. But he is saying that he deals with sin He disciplines us. Why? Because he loves us. He wants to correct us. He wants to see us change our behavior and deal with the sin in our lives. That's what Paul's talking about. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, listen, if you're not disciplined and if you're living a life of sin, you ought to be concerned because if you're not being disciplined as one who says he's a believer there's a good chance you're not a believer. Do you understand that? Who the Lord loves, he punishes. He disciplines. And if you claim to know Jesus Christ and then just live your life over and over and over, a pattern of years and years of disobedience to the word of God, somewhere along the way, 
If God's not dealing with sin in your life, you ought to be concerned as to whether or not you really know Jesus. Because if you and I are a child of God, when we sin, God will deal with it if we don't. Now that's the truth of the Word of God. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's saying happened there in the church at Corinth. Verse 33, so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. You should all eat together. Here's, this is the conclusion. So then, all right, with all that I'm saying, don't eat in an unworthy manner. The way you come to the Lord's Supper, your attitude, the manner in which you partake, not the sin that's been there. And it's not to say that you don't deal with that. John told us to confess our sin when it's there. Admit it, and he's faithful and just to forgive us that sin. But, but when we sit to examine our hearts at the Lord's Supper, it's not sit back and, and, and be concerned and worried. Oh, man, I hope I didn't forget anything because if I forgot some sin in my life that I wasn't aware of, I didn't realize, maybe I offended somebody and they haven't told me and I didn't know it and I've sinned and I partake, oh, no, I could be under God's judgment. That's not what it's talking about. But when we remember, he says, so then, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. You should unselfishly, generously be concerned about others within the body. And since we don't have a meal, we don't have to worry about that part of it. But what about our attitudes towards one another? That's why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we have what we call a deacon's fund offering. We take an offering every time we celebrate communion so that we have the ability to minister to people who are in need financially or in other ways. That's what that's all about, and that's the connection. That's why we tie that here together. It's about being willing to share as one all that God has given to us. Verse 34, he says, anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. When I come, I'll give further directions. He's just saying, hey, if you don't come with the right attitude, you may as well stay at home. Because you'd be eating in an unworthy manner. Don't do that. So what now? What now? How do we proclaim Christ's death? That's where we started. Back in verse 26, Jesus said, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper... We proclaim Christ's death till it comes. My challenge to you was do not partake again of the Lord's Supper unless you're ready to proclaim Christ's death until he comes. How do we do that? Well, let me give you four summary statements. Number one, don't come to the Lord's Supper with an unprepared heart. You see, many times we think when we sit and partake of the Lord's Supper that that's the first time we even think about it. How about if we knew that communion was going to be that Sunday morning? And we started preparing our hearts on Saturday or Friday or Sunday morning before we get in the car and come over here. How about if we began to do all that's necessary to make sure we were on right, in right standing with God's people? So don't come to the Lord's Supper with an unprepared heart. Make sure you're not going to partake with, in an unworthy Matter that you're not going to participate in a way that is inconsistent with the purpose of the cross. 
Is there anyone you need to be reconciled with? That you need to ask forgiveness or that you need to give forgiveness? That's what we're talking about. Number two, remember the Lord's Supper is also about the church. You see, many times, and and I get it rightly so, our focus is only on us, me, myself, and I. So when we say examine yourselves, we sit there, each of us individually, and we, we are looking at our own heart before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and so we make it all about us. But folks, it is individually, but it's also about the whole church. We're in this together. That's Paul's whole point. And we need to recognize that as we're gathered together, that's why one of the things that I think has been really good when, when we have changed the way we serve the elements for communion just because we didn't want to have the COVID plates passing up and down the aisles, right? That's what everybody said we should do. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but we did. And, and so we're taking all the precautions we can. We want to be very careful and do everything to keep our people healthy. But what's had to happen is during that time, everybody's getting up and moving by each other and walking by each other. We're aware of all of us that are here. I think that's a good thing. Because it reminds us that this is, as a body of believers, we are one together in this. And Jesus died to save us and make us one with him, but he died and he saved us to make us one with each other. We are the church, the body of Christ. Thirdly, examine yourself. Do some spiritual assessment. David said in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. David said, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me, God. See if there's any offensive, wicked way in me. And show me so I can deal with that. Boy, we don't do enough of that, I don't think, probably. We ought to be regularly, not just once a month, we ought to be regularly examining ourselves, searching our hearts to see if there's anything in our lives that aren't pleasing to God, even before we get here at 9.30 on Sunday morning. And then lastly, number four, recognize and respond to God's discipline. That's Hebrews 12. Write that text text down hebrews 12 5 to 11 but verses 6 and 7 because the lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son endure hardship as discipline god is treating you as his children when god is dealing with you and you know something in your heart isn't right and life gets tough because god is turning up the heat or tightening down the screws, whatever it is. And, and it's we need to respond. We need to say, Lord, I'm going to endure this hardship as discipline because I know you love me and you want me to walk with you and deal with sin in my life. Recognize and respond to God's discipline. Sometimes we think just bad circumstances. Maybe, maybe God's trying to tell us something. So in light of what you have just heard, what do you need to do before the next time we celebrate the Lord's Supper? What do you need to do before Sunday, September 12th? 
when we will celebrate together the Lord's Supper. What is it that God would have you to deal with in your own heart and life so that you can participate in a worthy manner, so that you've spent time examining your heart even ahead of time, so that you're walking with God, so that you're responding to what maybe the discipline that God has already been bringing into your life. What is it you need to do before September 12th when we observe together the Lord's Supper to be ready to participate so that you can proclaim loud and clear both in the moment in this auditorium and after you leave, you're proclaiming. Your life is an advertisement. It's a flashing neon light that says, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. Loud and clear, Jesus died for me. And they see it in the way you live live your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you so loved us that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die. That whoever would believe of us here wouldn't perish, wouldn't die in our sin, but would be given everlasting life, eternal life, forgiveness, that we'd be made right with you. God, thank you. And help for those of us who have believed that Jesus died in our place for our sins, that we would live our lives in a way that point others to Jesus. God, if there's any here today who do not know Jesus, who in their heart of hearts know, maybe even they've claimed they do, but no, they don't. Oh, Lord, I pray that even before they leave this building today, they would believe that Jesus died for them, took their place on the cross to forgive their sin, and they can be changed declared right here today. Oh God, thank you for giving us the means of the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. God, I pray that we would, with one voice in a loud, clear way, show forth, shine as the light in this world for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.